My guest on this week's episode of Sesson Search is Barry Schwartz, CEO of Rusty Brick, editor of Search Engine Roundtable, and news editor at Search Engine Land. Barry is one of the most influential and important voices in the industry. For the better part of two decades, Barry Schwartz has been the go-to resource for daily news, industry insights, and changes within the search industry. In 2018, Barry was awarded the U.S. Search Personality of the Year at the U.S. Search Awards. In 2019, he received the Outstanding Community Service Award from the Search Engine Land Awards. In addition to his columns, Barry has his own video series, which is unsurprisingly excellent. In the videos, Barry interviews thought leaders at conferences, in their offices, and more recently, outdoors at the safe social distance. Barry has written tens of thousands of blogs on topics related to SEO, PBC, and everything related to search. It's hard to imagine what SEO would be like without Barry's contributions. Grab something cold to drink and join me for a conversation with Barry Schwartz. We'll talk about why he likes to keep his blog posts short. We'll talk about the future of the SMX conference series. And I'll talk to him a little bit about the famous Is This New inquiries he receives on social media. All right, Barry Schwartz, welcome to Southern Search. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. This is a big get for us. I really appreciate you coming on. And I think for our audience, you're a man who needs no introduction. We, uh, I wanted to share with you. We okay. have a standard it's great being here. <laughs> we have a we have a standard interview question for prospective new SEOs at Search Lab, and it goes something like this: like, tell me about the blogs and podcasts and websites you go to to stay up to date on SEO. Um, and the right answer, there are many acceptable answers. The right answers are obviously Search Engine Land and Search Engine Round SEO, Search Engine Roundtable, but. I wonder how you'd answer that question. How do you stay up to date and how do you write these, these columns and how do you know what's going on in, in search? So I have little like birds and spies at the Googleplex um, watching everything that's going on. I installed some malware on people's computers um, at Google offices. No, and serious, no, I just use a lot of, I track a lot of the social media on Twitter and forums and even old fashioned forums. I subscribe to tons and tons of RSS feeds. In okay. fact, when Google had Google Reader, um, uh, Google sent me all this whole swag bag from Google Reader saying I was their number one consumer of RSS feeds out of all their RSS feed users. That's easy to believe. Um, so I just, yeah, I follow a lot of stuff. Well, interesting. And I, I mean, I think one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was the medium itself, just blogging. That's how I learned SEO was reading blogs. I kind of got into this in 2009, I guess. And so there really wasn't anything else out there. I guess when Whiteboard Friday came out, that was kind of like the first big change, like where people went to video. Um, you know, so as, as like videos and webinars and live streaming and dare I even say podcasts have gathered steam, you know, I wonder, I guess I've always still had a preference for blogs. I just think it's the best way to learn. Now, you do plenty of video. You do other stuff. You're not just a blogger, but I, I, I think of you as a blogger. Uh, you've done like tens of thousands of blogs. What about the medium blogging still appeals to you? Even, even after all these columns you've done? It's, it's I don't know. I, I type faster than I, um, it just, it's, it's faster. It's I could see something, write something, post it. When you do video, you have to like, I do a video twice a week. One is like almost real time. And even that real time video that I do every Friday, um, I have to record it. I have to like, edit it a little bit and then export it and then upload it to, you know, iTunes and, and also as well as, you know, YouTube, it just takes longer. Um, and I'm not the most animated person. I'm kind of, um, somewhat boring. Um, and 
you don't see that boringness when it just comes to typing. Um, more of like a monotone speaker. Like for me, listening to somebody give a great speech, like really, uh, no offense to Greg, who's great on stage um, and so forth. <laughs> I don't know if he's on camera here. I guess not, but he's probably just watching behind the scenes. Uh, Greg Grifford. Um, basically, he's great on stage, um, and I'm not. But I, I speak at a very monotone level, and I will say one billion things in a short session, whereas really good speakers will deliver a message and repeat that message multiple times so people understand it and correlate to it. I like to sit in a speech where somebody gives me every single sign, every word that comes out of their mouth is something brand new. Um, as opposed to repeating the same thing. I'm weird that way, whereas a lot of people, a lot of great speakers do it the opposite way. It's interesting. Your your style of blogging is different too. Your Yours are shorter. You're kind of pithy in the way that you write it. Uh, everybody's like the new, you know, for years now, it's been about long-form content. And even your colleagues at Search Engine Land write these much longer columns than you do. Yours are usually just straight to the point. Uh, it could be wrong, but it seems like maybe a decision was made maybe many, many years ago. Why write many, many short posts rather than long form content, many of the, you know, kind of all the things that people are doing on other blogs these days. Yeah. I mean, you guys are busy. Um, I respect people's time. I know my time. I'm so busy. Um, and I don't want people necessarily, if somebody could tell me something in less words, I appreciate that. And I, every, almost every single word that I type, I do it in a way that to be done in the shortest amount of time. And I think Google, it's the funny thing is Google wants to rank the long form content. I said this before, Google loves ranking the long form content, but yet what they know searchers want are the feature snippets, the two, three lines. And that's all they give them is the snippet of the content, the short form content from that long piece of content that they rank very well, but yet nobody wants it. Nobody wants to read that long form content. Um, they skip around, they have the headlines to make it jazz up. They stick in images and stuff like that. But if you ask anybody, any in the SEO world, anybody, that's why Instagram is so popular and TikTok and stuff like that because people don't want to consume the long form stuff. They want their quick hit and get over with. And I think it's more of a challenge to give a speech um, in 20 minutes than to give it an hour. It's more of a challenge to write a short form blog post, in my opinion, than a really long form blog post. It's like that Abraham Lincoln quote or something about that. So, well... You've been in the industry for so long, and I, I just started to think about this. Like when I started reading, it's like so many big changes, uh, you know, whether that's algorithm updates or new announcements from Google and everything in between. It, you know, if you could reflect on your career a little bit, what are some of the most important, you know, events of uh, that you've covered? Maybe what are the, like the top three even if you could if you could come up with it? So if I stick with algorithms, specifically organic search. Um, it would probably be the Florida update in 2003. Okay. It'd probably be the Panda update 2011, I think. And then the, probably the Penguin update after that. Um, but you could like make the exception around core updates when Google started confirming those on some level. Um, you could say like um, when Google went with universal search where it wasn't just right. 10 blue links, it was other things. Um, so there's lots of, you know, things that you could go ahead and talk about machine learning, feature snippets, um, you know, there's lots of things that have drastically changed the search space, but if you just focus on algorithms, I would say those three algorithm updates were probably the most significant. I was so Florida was before my time, although I know about it, but I definitely, definitely remember Panda and Penguin being like uh, momentous, like momentous moments in a, in my career. When when a story like that comes out, do you get? Are you in the room with Google? Does Google talk to you? How do you, how how does the sausage get made? 
on search engine land and take us kind of behind the scenes. So my malware jumps up. No, I'm just joking. Um, so <laughs> yeah, so some, it depends like in the early days, like Florida, it was like, I noticed a ton of SEOs in the SEO communities, you know, writing about my rankings, my rankings, something's happening. Also with Panda, this is before Google confirmed it. We were calling it something else. I think we we're calling it the scraper algorithm or something like that, or, Basically, we were seeing Google making drastic changes, and the forums would literally explode. Same thing with Penguin. I would cover these updates before Google would actually announce them okay. uh, based on the SEO community going nuts, like my client's rankings are going up or down, it's great or it's horrible, um, my site's going up or down, and you would see this, the, the community explode. Um, it was much easier back in the page rank days where Google would do these uh, Google toolbar page rank updates. Mm-hmm. We, call, uh, we used to call it the Google Dance, not the physical dance, but the Google data set at the centers would actually dance with new page rank scores and stuff like that. Um, then it became harder when Google stopped doing that in 2004, I think, or something like that, where we kind of didn't really see it. Uh, but then the, you know, the rankings would change constantly, but drastic changes would be, you know, people would just discuss a lot. And I would say there's a Google update going on. It was uh, unconfirmed. And then eventually Google started to confirm them. Sometimes Google will pre-announce stuff like um, and I might get a five-minute update or a ten-minute update saying from from somebody at Google saying, "Hey, we're going to announce something." I'd be like, on the algorithm side, so I'll pretty much know it's a core update coming, and I'll type as fast as I can, and then Google will post it on Twitter, and then I'll you know include the um, relevant information for Google and hit post. But usually, I don't get a heads up. Rarely do I ever get a heads up. Okay, cool. Well, I I think one of the things I have to ask you about is you're famous for receiving a lot of like, is this new inquiries on social media and elsewhere. And the the thing is like almost none of the things people ask you about are actually new. It's like, if somebody actually gets you, it's like this huge major accomplishment. Uh, you you almost seem to have like a photographic memory of like SERP features and other, uh, and I don't know if our audience could fully appreciate how difficult that is. Like I'm just in local SEO and I don't know if I know like all the SERP features in, in local for sure. Uh, tell our audience about this talent for knowing when something in SEO is new or not. I, I just find it fascinating. Yeah, I don't think it's a photographic member. I don't. I don't. Um, I didn't do that well in uh, elementary school, or <laughs> I did very well in, in college, but not in elementary school. But um, I think it's more about if you type it out, like if you write it, you kind of remember it, and that's another reason why I kind of started blogging is because if you type it, you remember it. Now, after almost I think well over thirty thousand blog posts, it's not doesn't really hold on as much as, uh, as writing one or two blog posts. But, um, also there's a search box. So if somebody asks me, is this new? Sometimes I'd be like, kind of looks new or maybe it doesn't. And even sometimes I will write something that I thought was new that I actually covered maybe 10 years ago. Um, so even I get stumbled on that and I kind of slip up on that, but there is a search box on my site. You can do a Google site command and search for it. And usually it will come up on searches around table if it's new or not. All right. Is there some merchandise around this thing now? I think I saw a hat, perhaps. Is there somebody making Yeah, people have made uh, stickers. Um, People have made um, shirts, um, animated GIFs. I think I have a hat. Yeah, Yeah, here's a hat somebody sent me. There's websites. There's memes. SEO community is fun. That's fascinating. That's where I want to go next is to to the SEO community. You know, in marketing, we talk all the time about knowing your audience. And we do all these, like you know, avatars for, for who are for personas and stuff like that from an outsider's point of view. Like, I don't, I guess my show's for the SEO community, so I should be a little more aligned on this, but it seems like 
they're generally a cool audience, but occasionally they can be kind of like rapacious and like greedy for more information so they can get up ahead of their competitors. How would you characterize the people reading your stuff? Do you even, can, do you even think about the audience anymore? You've been doing this for so long. Um, yeah, of course I think about the audience. Um, but it's really, I don't really care so much. You have to have thick skin, um, writing or speaking, um, in the space, as you probably know, as Greg probably knows, you could get attacked by tweeting something or whatever. It doesn't bother me at all. It's like, I have like rhino skin or whatever. Nothing, nothing really bothers me. You could like threaten to like shoot me in the head, uh, which people have done, um, <laughs> in the past. Um, they have people that have threatened my life. They have people that have threatened my family's lives for reporting on the news. So it's kind of funny. Uh, but again, I understand it because they, these guys have suffered traumatic, you know, dramatic, up, you know, Panda Update may have wiped out the guy's business and then their family and then their income. And so I understand it. They need to blame somebody. Um, but yeah, the community is very, very interesting. It's um, it's a great community. I, I, find, I kind of find it funny how the local SEO community and also the PPP, uh, PPC community, the paid search community, kind of like makes fun of our community, the, the organic SEO community, because we're, it's much more ruthless, the SEO or the organic yeah. SEO community than the local SEO community and also the paid search community. Um, I'm I not sure it. why, um, but it's definitely interesting and I, I enjoy it. I, I actually love listening to the trolls. I, I don't know why. I just, I enjoy it. So it's fun. This is, I, mean, I wonder if that's, are you from New York? Is it like the New Yorker in you? You like the... All right. Well, I'm from New York. Yeah. As people complain all the time in my videos that I talk way too fast. <laughs> well, very good. Well, this is the last thing I had a question about just doing this. There's a sort of, this is sort of a publisher SEO question. It's one thing to write, what'd you say? 30,000, like that many blog posts. It's almost like an amazing amount of blog posts. It becomes another job. It seems like to maintain and remember it. Like we talked about, so you can like have this recall, you, you, you know, once you've written a post, whether that's at SEO Roundtable or Search Engine Land, or anywhere else, uh, is that post done? Do you return to it? And is it new information arises? How can you keep track of that many posts? You know what I mean? Um, so I do tag my posts. Um, so like anything under the Google Penguin update or maybe the page experience update, I will generally tag them. So they have a tag page, which Google doesn't like to index as much, but I find it very, very valuable. Um, so yeah, and also the site command works very, very well. There's the search box on the site works very well for, to find this stuff. Um, and it's not, this is not, this is a hobby. This is not my job. So it's a, it's a passion. So I enjoy it. And I think that helps a lot when it comes to writing so much and remembering it as well. People who are passionate about their hobbies, um, you know, it's, it's fun. So I enjoy it a lot. Okay. Well, well, I wanted to ask you a, a little bit about the company you've covered a lot, which is Google, uh, potentially, you know, maybe if we understand what motivates, you know, Google, perhaps we could align our tactics and strategies better. Uh, one of the topics right now is about site quality. This is something that's come up a lot uh, at SE Roundtable. And it seems like this is like a common thread. You know, as, we, as I've looked at the last three years, whether that's eCore core web vitals and topics in between, it, it seems to be about Google trying to understand the quality of a page. You know, from your perspective and, and from what you've learned, uh, what are some glaring examples of poor site quality and how are, how are, how are you kind of like, how are Google, how's Google starting to understand this better? That's a good question. It's funny. I think John Mueller just today, um, I'm not sure if you're publishing the date of this. So I responded to somebody about their site. They were complaining about their site, not ranking well or not being indexed. And John's like, you're He actually said it right out. He's like, your content is horrible. I don't know. <laughs> Something like that. I don't know the exact words, but it was pretty strong. 
I mean, you can look at a website visually and just say this site looks like it's from 1999, right. um, not from 2021. You could look at a site and say this content is really, really poorly. You could look at a site and say I can't navigate it, I can't figure it out. Um, a lot of the stuff that you know you would look at and say this site looks professional. I would trust giving my credit card to this website. I would trust you know filling out their contact form. I would call them. Can you even call them? Um, do you know where they're located? You know, are they you know based in you know Chicago or are they based? Um, in some other you know location that maybe they're trying to hide their location. Do they have about us information about who owns the company? You know, these are types of stuff that a normal person who would give over, who who would maybe call the company or maybe buy something them might look at before they actually give over their credit card information or their phone number and stuff like that. And I think a lot of that is you know, it was easy to fake back in the old days. You create a one page affiliate site to rank for whatever keyword you wanted to, right. pretend you're that company. And somebody clicks on your website and clicks on a big button saying click here to whatever, and it'll go to that main website from that other company. And all you're doing is kind of funneling that you're that middleman uh, you're the, for the affiliate site. Uh, you're the affiliate site, the middleman for taking them to the actual company. Um, and I think Google's like, we really want to show the most authoritative uh, result for that query, and how can we do that? And a lot of that is based on what would a user really want, what, how would a user feel safe, trust, etc., um, on that type of topic. And it's gone to more extremes over the years uh, when it came to um, obviously when I named the, one of the, the Google updates, the Google medic update, which I got a lot of flack over. Um, mm. But when it came to that, a lot of the sites that were hit by that update were medically related right. or um, either they sold medical products or financial products or like e-commerce sites were impacted, but they sold medical products or sure. uh, financial products um, and so forth. So it kind of that EAT expertise, trust, um, authoritativeness and trustworthiness kind of was escalated a lot when it came to those categories of YMYL, your money, your life. Um, we saw that first with the medic update uh, and now we see that escalate more and beyond the YMYL space over time, um, especially with fresh con news oriented content and stuff like that. So um, I think Google's really looking to try to make sure the experience for the, for the searchers are something that the searchers like what they'll land on their goal is to make sure to give the searcher the best user experience so that when they land at a website or they get a piece of content feature snippet from Google that the searcher is satisfied. If they're not, they can, they can easily go to Bing. They can easily go to DuckDuckGo. Uh, they can go to AltaVista. I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, but they can go to other websites and get that search because it's very easy to switch from, um, you know, just instead of typing in Google.com to type in Bing.com. So. That makes sense. One more question about Google. So one of the topics I've, I feel like I've discussed with a lot of my guests is this, it's like a tension between sort of competing consumer demands for on one hand, it's like for more privacy. And on the other hand, it's for more personalized results. So this is kind of more of a concern for PPC folks. And, and maybe I'd be curious to pick your brain on that, but I've been in SEO long enough to remember when keywords in Google analytics weren't just, didn't all just say not provided. Like there actually would be stuff in there. So, you know, as you think about it, in 2021, what are some ways we might see privacy impact our ability to do our jobs as digital marketers? I mean, I think we've seen it. I think we've seen it a lot. I mean, I mean obviously with not provided, that was the biggest shock. It's like, oh, Google's like, oh, the realm of HTTPS and privacy, we're not going to pass you query data. And we saw with the AOL um, data exploit from years and years ago that in one of the, I think Wall Street Journal, New York Times is able to locate a, like some old grandmother who did a search about some type of medical condition she had and, Within, there was kind of opened up the box. We're saying query data 
the person searched for this condition, I have a rash, and then later search for their name, you kind of like figure out who they are and, and stuff like that. So obviously privacy is very, very important. Um, we saw that also with Facebook and the elections and so forth, previous elections. Um, we, we've seen this a lot where Facebook had to dial back a lot of their um, advertising targeting. You were able to target an individual in a, in a specific company um, to try to recruit them or to try to sell them something or try to uh, change their mind about who to vote for um, and so forth. So um, there's been a lot of public concern about privacy, more so in, the U in European countries than in the U.S., but obviously significantly in the U.S. as well recently. Um, and I think we're I think we're close to the end of that. I think it's not going to get worse. Um, I think a lot of the platforms have already adjusted significantly around that. You see Google with their uh, privacy sandbox, um, although it's not really catching on so much. A lot of people are not liking it so much with their cohorts. I think uh, Flock, they're calling it. Flock is a, yeah. it's a, it's a bad word to say. It doesn't sound right. Like you got something in your, <laughs> in your throat. Yeah. Um, but we see that. I think it's, I mean, I think we're going to see like changes to it, adapt, you know, but I don't think we're going to see any significant decreases in terms of what information we as marketers or advertisers could get from the platforms. I think, I think they've already done much. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think, I think we're as far as we can go. Well, I think that's a good prediction. So, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about SMX. We're filming this in September. And as we're speaking, there's like the most recent spike in COVID cases uh, because of the Delta variant and other, other causes. So this is such an important conference series for digital marketers it's an international thing. So, you know, like Greg and I are supposed to go to SMX Munich uh, in the spring. And my wife very much wants to know whether or not that's going to be possible. So I said, I'll talk to Barry Schwartz about it. We'll see what happens. But I know this is a fluid situation. You know, how far out can you guys plan for SMX? What do you know at this stage? So SMX Munich is completely not under the SMX I'm sorry. Like I have no authority over it. Um, it's run by a third-party company. I think we just lease out the name. I'm not involved in the business side so much. I know for XMX shows that we run, you know, at XMX directly, the third-door media company. Um, we're not having anything in person at least until 2022. Um, they're all going to be virtual. Uh, we may have an XMX advanced at the end of 2022. We're not sure yet. Right now, nothing has been planned. We were hoping, I was hoping personally to do an XMX in Israel um, in January. Um, I saw the numbers were drastically declining. They were the first country to be like almost fully vaccinated. Um, and it looked great. And then a few months ago, or a couple months ago, and like you said, the Delta variant kind of exploded. Um, the, the vaccines started to like wane, I guess. I don't even know. I'm not a doctor or anything. And people started to get sick again. So I canceled it. I put it on hold and we'll see what happens. So I personally don't feel comfortable flying somewhere and going to a big show. I know there was Brighton SEO, which seemed to be really done well uh, with a nice number of people. I'm not sure how many, maybe 500. It's, they usually have thousands and thousands of people. I know PubCon uh, had an event in Florida that was a very, very small audience, done very well in a way to, a very safe way. There are ways to do it safely, but... Um, even my I, my daughter had a bat mitzvah and we we're supposed to do it at a restaurant. I figured by the end of the summer, it would have been, um, you know, very safe based on the numbers and the vaccines and stuff like that. And a week before, I'm like, I'm going to spend extra money, take it out of the restaurant and do it in an outside venue um, with less people, a lot less people. And, you know, I just, if I get one person sick under my watch, I would feel horrible. Mm -hmm. Even if they don't sick, get sick at night, they're all for a week from work. 
I know if I'm off for a week of work, how much money I lose and how much how much catch up there is, it's just not worth it. So I don't want that on my head. And although I don't run X and X, I, I don't think we're doing anything until the end of 2022. All right. Well, listen, you are like an absolute like treasure for SEOs everywhere. I want to just like to your face say thank you for all your work over the years. If people want to get in touch with you, what is your favorite social media and how should they do that? Uh, the, the easiest is on Twitter. Um, the handle is at Rusty Brick. Um, so just message me there or just reach out to me at RustyBrick.com slash Barry. Is there a story behind Rusty Brick? How did that become your your name? So the company was my, my brother and I, my twin brother, Ronnie. Um, he, we built it in high school in 1994, the name. So it was a company we built while we were 14 years old, building software and websites and stuff like that. Back then it was just animated gifs now they're animated gifs are back again uh, but yeah it's just a company we built back in uh, high school that tends now uh, we have you know 20 or so people working with us we don't do any marketing people think we do seo and marketing we, don't, we just build software we build mobile apps we build taxi cab software we build you know, web-based software for hospitals we build custom software we don't do any seo awesome well, listen, like, I'm glad I asked. So I'm going to give you a virtual cheers from Chicago. Thank you for so much for coming on. And for everyone listening, we'll be back next week for another episode of Sudden Search. Thank you.